Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It is Friday. I hope you've got nice weekend plans. I have a t-ball game to coach uh, tomorrow morning. Our team, the uh, the Cardinals, we are actually undefeated this year, which is phenomenal. Um but we don't keep score, so we, we haven't lost, but we haven't won either. Um, so we have T-ball tomorrow. Uh, I got some fishing to do on Sunday. So uh, eventful weekend planned. I hope you uh, have some nice plans for the weekend as well. Thank you for coming back and listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you have not already subscribed uh, to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff podcast, go on whichever podcast app you use and hit that subscribe button. You will be made aware when new content is available. Had a discussion that I wanted to do today on demand and the state of demand for corn and soybeans in particular. And the reason that I thought that this was a relevant or or good topic to touch on is because so much of the talk the last several weeks has revolved around supply. Um, all the talk is about the crop. How big is the crop? How big are the yields? What was the storm damage in Iowa? What about the drought in Western Iowa? What about the the maybe good crops in Illinois or Minnesota, places like that? There's been so much talk about the supply side and maybe not as much talk about the demand side. And there's a lot of things on the demand side going on that are very interesting right now. Um, I, my working theory, and, and I've said this on the podcast several times over the last uh, month or so, my working theory has been that the market knew, say, a month ago, maybe even more than a month ago, that these corn and soybean crops were going to be very good. I think it was in in mid-July that we kind of came to this realization that we've probably got a record or near-record corn crop. We've probably got a record or near-record soybean crop uh, uh, on their way. And uh, I think the market's known it for a while now. I don't think it's fresh news. I, I don't think that anything that um, that the, the crop tour, for example, is telling us is, is necessarily fresh news, maybe with the exception of some of the events that have happened in Iowa. But um, I, I think there's been maybe not enough focus on the demand side of the equation, which is just as important. And I um, I'm going to touch on a little bit of, of the of the things that, that affect this today, the key factors in soybeans and the key factors in corn, and uh, I'm going to kind of give you my two cents about it. I'm going to talk about what's going on demand-wise versus what USDA is projecting, which I think is important, and then how it all ties back to ending stocks and, and more importantly, the stocks-to-use ratio. I'll do a little bit of talk about that, and I know I've said before I hate analyzing balance sheets, and, and, and I do. But I think that a, a general discussion of overall demand is is maybe a good idea at this point in time when so much of the focus has been on the supply side of the uh, balance sheets. We're going to start off with soybeans. And uh, the thing to know about U.S. soybean demand, and, and most of you probably already know this, is that it, it essentially comes from two sources. Uh, domestic crush is one source and exports are the other source. And and those that are essentially your two big sources of demand for U.S. soybeans. I'm going to start off with exports. Uh, new crop 
sales of, of U.S. soybeans. These are soybeans that we've already sold, but they won't be delivered till that new crop time slot, say October, November, December. They are the best on record. We have the best new crop um, soybean program on record uh, for this particular date. Uh, we just exceeded the previous record from 2014 yesterday um, with that big export weekly export sales report. So, a uh, couple things to know about it. One thing is that I think 58% of the purchases are from China, and that makes some people nervous. It it maybe makes some people kind of skeptical of the number. They'll say, well, what if the trade deal falls apart because of, of political fallout? Or what if China cancels the beans because the Brazilian crop is huge and they can wait a couple of months? Uh, those are all things that could happen, but the way that it looks right now from where I sit and, and from based on conversations I've had with people that maybe know a little bit more about China than me, China needs the beans. That's that's kind of the the fact of the matter right now, the way that I see it. So I have no reason to be extremely skeptical. I suppose there could always be some sort of political situation that results in a change in the situation. But the export program looks fantastic. Now, when you look at what USDA is projecting for exports, they're projecting a fantastic export program for the new crop marketing year. Um, in 2020, or the 20. 2020-2021 marketing year, they're projecting that we're going to export 2.125 billion bushels of beans. Um, that would be up from 1.65 last year. So that's a big year over year increase. And um, it would be, let's see, not the best on record, but it would be the third best on record be- behind 2017 and 2018 if realized. So we've already got a very strong export number priced into these uh, or punched into these balance sheets. I'm not sure exactly what's priced into the market. That may be a different conversation. But the government's already telling us that this export program is going to be very good. And uh, it it essentially kind of looks right now like we may get back to those pre-trade war type levels, or maybe even we exceed those pre-trade war type levels if the if China's appetite in particular for, for beans is is really that great. The other thing to be aware of is that U.S. beans are competitive on the export market right now. We've got one big competitor or two. It's 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 South America and Brazil in particular. And Brazil has pretty much exhausted their soybean supplies. Now, they've got a big crop on the way potentially um, coming, say, January, February, March. Uh, but that crop is is going to hasn't even been planted yet. They'll start early soybean plantings in September. So we've got a nice window here in that period following U.S. harvest, where demand for U.S. beans on the export market will continue to thrive. The uh, uh, sales may drop off before that. China may start to shift the sales toward Brazil um, in that time frame, but the shipments should be good the way that it looks right now. And of course, this is all subject to change, the fluid situation, but the shipments should be good. So exports, I mean, we are rocking and rolling. The sales are great. Um, we hope all this stuff gets shipped, but but gets shipped. But it's it's an optimistic looking situation right now. Certainly, soybean crush is the other one to look at, and USDA is projecting a record crush number for the new crop marketing year: two point one eight billion bushels. That would be up from two point one five. I have no reason to doubt this number. Uh, we've seen strong or even record monthly crush numbers very consistently uh, over the last several months. And what could change that? I mean, margins could change that. If if the soybean market were to rally substantially and the products uh, 
are, are more muted in action, you could see margins drop off and therefore you could see crush drop off. So there may be downside risk there to that crush number, but there could be upside risk too. We could continue to crush beans at a phenomenally strong pace and uh, their number could be low. So overall, when you look at what USDA is projecting for soybean demand for the new crop marketing year, they are projecting the best demand ever at four point four four five billion bushels, which would exceed um it would exceed the previous record, which was I think twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, which was about four point three. So we USDA has already penciled in the best usage on record for US soybeans. And uh even with that best usage number penciled in, we're still looking at a 610 million bushel carryout following the new crop marketing year. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you here is that we have excellent demand from both of our big sectors in beans, crush and exports. And despite that, we can still have a big carryout. And and that's really what matters at the end of the day. I've talked about um, production numbers and how they're just kind of arbitrary numbers. I've talked about price and how it's just kind of an arbitrary number. Um, it, it, there, there's always two sides to it. When it comes to price, price, uh, it, the only thing that, that really matters is price relative to your cost of production. When it comes to demand, it's all about demand relative to supply. So one of the uh, uh, very good statistics that you should pay attention to is the stocks to use ratio. That's the best way of of kind of uh, getting a better view of this. We're not talking about, you know, abstract numbers. We're talking about percentages. And the stocks to use ratio for U.S. beans is going to shrink for the third consecutive year the way that it looks. And um, it looks like we're going to be the tightest since I think 2016 or, or 2017 in terms of of the stocks to use ratio. So it's not a super bullish situation, but um, it's a little bit more friendly than it had been the last few years. And, and I think that the recovery in this export program is a big reason for that. So that uh, stocks to use ratio thing is is if that's not a statistic or a chart that you're already looking at, um, you should you should start to look at that. And if you want to know how to get your hands on those charts or how to do that calculation, uh, get a hold of me. But basically what you do is you just um, do the math uh, ending stocks versus total usage and, and you divide them and, and it'll spit you out your percentage. And that's that's a good statistic to pay attention to, certainly. To turn our attention to corn, the demand situation is not quite as rosy. And there is one reason for that. And I'll start off with the bad news here. The reason for that is ethanol. Um, ethanol is the biggest portion of our demand base for U.S. corn, and it has taken a tremendous hit. Um, this all, again, and I've talked about this at length, this all ties back to COVID. It ties back to people driving less, less gasoline consumption. We saw a huge, massive dip in ethanol production back in April and May. We've since recovered, but we're running 10 to 15% below last year. So we're not anywhere back to near normal in terms of, of ethanol production. So for the old crop marketing year, it looks like we're going to end up, what, probably five or 600 million bushels uh, below the prior year. And uh, that's a big decline. And for the new crop marketing year, here's the number, 5.2 billion bushels um, of, of corn usage via ethanol is what's being projected. When you go back to the pre-COVID years, we were at we peaked at 5.6. So you're talking maybe 
say, say to keep it easy, 400 million off old crop, 400 million off new crop compared to maybe where we would be if there was no COVID, that's 800 million bushels. That's a tremendous chunk of change that we've lost and that we, we could continue to lose. I think there are some people who are a little bit more optimistic about ethanol. Maybe that, that 5.2 billion number is, Maybe it's a hundred million too light. I don't know. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on again what happens with COVID and the restrictions, and when do we start driving normally again, if ever. I really, I really don't know. But that's your big weak spot here. That's that's the soft spot in corn demand. Now, the other thing in corn demand to look at, which has been very strong, would be export sales. And just like in soybeans, we have a phenomenal looking new crop export sales program. Uh, we have the best new crop export sales book since 1995 or 1996. Um, and, and, and it's the best since then. So, I mean, it's the best in, in 24 years. Uh, so assuming that that comes to fruition, that's a big time positive, but what you've got to remember about that is that exports make up a pretty small portion of your total demand base for corn. It's, it's not, it's a big swing item sometimes on the balance sheets, but it's a small portion, uh, typically of your demand base that ethanol is, is the much bigger portion. Uh, when you look at feed demand, which is another big portion, uh, feed demand is projected to be very good. In fact, I believe it's projected to be record large, or if, if not near record large, at least the biggest dating back to 2011. So we've got some some big cattle and hog numbers out there. Um, USDA is projecting uh, big time feed demand. When you look at the overall use projection for uh, new crop corn during the, the marketing year, it's not the best on record, but it's awfully close. 14.775 um, would be only behind, I think, 2018 or 2019 and better than every other year. So despite these low prices, or or probably because of these low prices, rather, we have excellent, excellent demand uh, for corn. The problem is that the supply is outweighing the demand. And the way that USDA has it penciled right now, we're going to end up with a 2.7 billion bushel carryout at the end of the uh, new crop marketing year. And again, that's just kind of an arbitrary number. So we'll go to the stocks to use ratio in corn and that projection, which is a little bit more relevant and, and more useful, I believe. And we're looking at the highest stocks to use ratio in corn since either 2004 or 2005. So when it comes to the stocks to use ratio, which is a lot more important to me than the the ending stocks number or, or the carryout number, um, we're like back into like pre-ethanol type levels in terms of the stocks to use ratio. And that is a very bad place to be because you all know what sort of markets we were in uh, pre-ethanol. It was Kind of this 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 second golden age of agriculture happened uh, largely because of ethanol in that time frame from say 2006 2007 through maybe 2013 into the middle part of 2014. But a stocks to use ratio um, up at 19 20 percent, which is is like 2004 2005 type levels pre-ethanol, that is a very, very bad place to be. And what we need to see in the corn market is a recovery in ethanol. We need to continue the strong pace of export sales. Um, we need to see this feed number stay high. And ideally, ideally, you'd see all of those things and then see USDA knock a little bit off of the crop projection. And that's how you get into a more constructive looking market where we can knock that carry out down. We can knock the stocks to use ratio down and get our prices back to some levels that resemble profitability. And I know we're not anywhere near those sort of levels right now, but that's really what we'd like to see. So there are some positive things that could happen in corn here. You know, you, you deliver on, on the big exports, 
Um, you deliver on the big feed number. You get ethanol to to push up a couple hundred million bushels, and then maybe maybe if we're if we're lucky, we get the crop to come down a little bit and give ourselves a little bit better chance of, of a friendly looking market. So. Uh, uh, to summarize here, soybean demand, excellent. Both both segments of your demand base for U.S. soybeans are fantastic. Uh, export sales, fantastic. Best on record. Crushings, uh, fantastic. Projected to be the best on record during the new crop marketing year. Corn, you've got everything is good except for the, the, the one big thing, which is ethanol, and that's the one that matters the most right now. Typically, you don't see the ethanol numbers swing around a lot, but this COVID thing has changed the ball game in regard to ethanol, and it's now a number that I believe could swing around quite a bit. So it's something to pay attention to. I hope this was useful information to you. I, I know that you've heard nothing but talk about the crop and how big it is and storm damage in Iowa and, and big crops elsewhere. I figured I'd touch on something a little bit different today. Um, if you have questions about any of this stuff, shoot me an email to info at standardgrain.com. I'll get back to you. If you need me to send to send you a copy of any of these charts that I mentioned, um, I would be happy to do that. Um, remember, if you are seeking some help with your grain marketing, I offer a subscription service. I, I offer a very, very simple approach to grain marketing. I just tell you when I'm selling cash grain, essentially, and and you can use the 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 prices and and do an HTA or or uh, cash contracts or whatever. But I tell you when I'm doing it for what marketing year, and I keep track of the percentages. And I tell you every day. I put a scorecard in the newsletter, and I'll tell you exactly where I'm at. So if that's something that you think you might be interested in, uh, maybe you don't like to trade futures or options. Maybe you just want to be a cash grain marketer and, and that's it. And I've said before, I think you can be an excellent grain marketer by just selling cash. Check out that subscription service. Go to standardgrain.com, click on grain marketing plan, 49 bucks a month. That's the only fee, no acreage fee, no other fee. You can cancel it at any time. You could literally subscribe for a month and cancel it if you don't like it. Um, I have a feeling you will like it. Everyone have a great weekend. Uh, I'll catch you next week.